Susan, butcher box to the rescue. The other night we had some friends over for dinner and we had no idea what to make. And I was like, guess what? We have a freezer full of meat. So my husband went down and thought out some chicken from butcher box and made the best cocoa van that we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, you'd have been screwed without butcher box because I know you ain't got no time to go to the store right now. That's true. I don't have time to go shop for meat or pick out the meat or find the best quality, low-priced meat. So ButcherBox does all of that for me. So true story, my husband's workplace has a Slack channel called Smoked Meats. And I know you can't like win a workplace conversation, but he is now because with ButcherBox, his great cuts of meat to the door, they can cook up and take photos of for his workmates. <laughs> I love ButcherBox and I think other people would too. ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, with curated, customized box plans. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork, raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. There are a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive membership deals. They also provide recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Sign up at butcherbox.com proof and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer, plus an additional 20% off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com proof and use code proof to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Dallas battle, Lee and Kane wouldn't be where they are today? Yep, 100%. 100%. They left that uh, accidental shooting, that's what it was. But being that Detective Battles was in there, he created the whole thing. Glenn Clark, Lee's father, believes that Sergeant Dallas Battle took an accidental shooting and turned it into a homicide. But when he realized that in order to convict Kane's story, he would need to make this case a murder conspiracy, he had decided to charge Lee Clark as well. And as Lee acknowledges, he'd given Dallas Battle plenty of reason to dislike him. So this is why Dallas Battle hated y'all. Oh yeah, because look, I would talk to him any kind of way when he would go question me. I was a dumbass teenager. I did a lot of stupid junk when I was a kid. I did. I mean, I'll be the first to admit it. But God Almighty, I mean, was that, was that warrant enough to put me in here for something I didn't do with all this time? And the worst part about it was I've had to sit behind these walls and grow up and mature and become a man behind prison walls. God Almighty. For something I didn't do, that's the worst part. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm proud of the man I've become today. My daddy's pretty proud of the man I've become today. I really think I could have reached this status without all this right here. When we began working on this case, we had very much hoped that we'd be able to speak to Sergeant Battle about his investigation. But he passed away last year, just days before our first trip to Rome. What did you think when he, when he died the other week? What did you think? Well, Kevin, I'm a changed man, okay? I'm a changed man. Uh, he'll have to deal with what he did, okay? He'll have to deal with what he did. I'll be honest with you, I wish he hadn't, because I wish that somebody would have been able to get to him and talk to him before he passed. But uh, didn't have no, no bad feelings toward him, you know? I, it ain't me to judge him, it's the Lord that judges, takes care of that. My name is Susan Simpson. I'm an attorney and podcaster, and previously I hosted the Undisclosed Podcast. Hi, I'm Jacinda Davis, and I'm a true crime TV producer. Last year, Susan and I decided to team up and reinvestigate the murder of Brian Bowling. Along with Kevin Fitzpatrick, president of Red Marble Media, we decided to launch Proof. You can listen to Proof like you would any podcast, and you can follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. Thanks for listening, and welcome to Proof.
We never got the chance to talk to Dallas Battle about this case, but we did get to talk to a lot of people about Dallas Battle. That's like four people now who have told us Dallas Battle's dead. Well, good riddance. Or congrats. <laughs> Phil said, congratulations. If someone told us, I hope he rots in hell. Yeah. There is no love lost there. Dallas Battle was hired as a patrolman by the Floyd County Police Department in 1977. He worked his way up to sergeant investigator and spent nearly 30 years with the Floyd County Police Department before leaving in 2007. After that, he ended up at the Polk County Sheriff's Office, where he worked at the county jail before retiring in 2016. If you work in investigations, you're going to have the ones that like you and the ones that hate you, and you're going to have equal amount of both. Former Floyd County Police Officer Mark Corbin worked with Dallas Battle for many years. We asked him about what Dallas had been like as an investigator. I mean, I liked Dallas, and I used to go camping with him some, but he'd just get a little lax these days on some of the cases is the only thing I'll say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more than one case that's been ruled suicide that ended up not being ruled suicide. Do you remember any other cases that were like that, started suicide? And... Now, anytime you work a su- uh, suicide, nobody in the family is going to buy into a suicide. Uh, it's always a struggle to get the family to believe whatever suicide I've ever worked. I mean, you're never going to convince the family that one of their family members has taken their own life. We also asked Mark Corbin about some of the rumors we'd heard about Dallas Battle, rumors that didn't portray him in the best light. So we've talked to a lot of people who have stories about Dallas Battle, and unfortunately he's not here to, to tell us, but are any of those rumors true? Depends on which one you're asking about. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't want to beat him down. He's, no, he's I don't either. I wish he was here so we could talk to him. But ain't probably out. nobody can tell you better uh, than D- David Steer because they work together all the time. Him and David always work together on everything. Okay, we'll ask David. Yeah, he can tell you. I'd rather him tell you. We heard this several times down in Floyd County that if we wanted to hear from someone who could tell us the full story of Dallas Battle's career as an investigator, we needed to speak to David Stewart. David Stewart had investigated cases with Dallas Battle for decades. But Floyd County would not let Investigator Stewart speak to us. And most of the people who agreed to speak to us on the record about Sergeant Battle were people who had a much more contentious history with him. Everybody I ever talked to had troubles with him. I, I heard, I'm not going to say how true it is, but I heard it. the teenagers at these restaurants and all, they would spit in his food and stuff when he would come in and buy, order food. That's what they thought of him. Dallas Battle was a crook. <laughs> That's Kane Story's uncle, Phil. See, Dallas Battles one time, he got out of my son and uh, my nephew, they was on a motorcycle or a little dirt back and they chased them all the way over through here and they come dragging him out by the hair of the head and I told Dad about it, I look at your dude, I said, you don't have to hold him by the hair of his head, I said, I don't do that when I whoop him, you know, that was my kid and he told me to shut up and me and him got in a cuss fight so I ended up in the back of the police car and he took my Zippo lighter away from me and stuck it in his pocket there when he was searching me, that was the last time I ever seen him. He took your lighter? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just Dallas Battle taking things from you that you had to worry about, Lee's brother Jamie told us. You also had to be concerned about him leaving things behind. Can you just tell us what, what would people think about Dallas Battle? What did people say about him back then? What was his reputation? You didn't fool around with him. Uh, he hit me up on some stuff real quick. If you, if you pissed him off, uh, 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 hey, all of a sudden... You've got a bag of meth on you, or you've got a bag of crack on you, whatever he wanted to put on you. And hey, there you go, off to jail. I mean, it's just, it was his world back then. He went way out of his way to be an asshole. I mean, he was already one, didn't have to go out of his way, but he did. He went way out of his way to do it. Bo Rittenhouse is the same age as Brian and Jamie, and he'd known all of them growing up. 
Bo described how he and his friends had a troubled relationship with law enforcement in general, and Dallas Battle in particular. They, uh, they would catch us down at the Coke machine or something and act like they would all put us in handcuffs. And we used to throw eggs at them. Uh, we'd hide in the woods or up on Black's Buff Road. But we'd get way up on top and throw rocks and eggs at their cars when they come by and they couldn't ever catch us because we was in the woods. So they were they were harassing you and you were harassing them? Yeah. And it was pretty bad sometimes. Like how bad? Uh, they would beat us. It was, it was rough. Anytime they would see us, they would pull us over and walking. Um, they'd pull us over and search us, check us for warrants, set us down, and then if if we ever seen anything smart to them, which we usually did, they would punch us in the stomach or something like that. Not all of the people that we spoke to who'd had run-ins with Sergeant Battle had filed complaints, but some did. I don't think we told you, Kevin, we ended up finding the person who was arrested or pulled over something by Dallas Battle and who ended up, um, what would you call it, Susan? He, he wrote a complaint. We have Dallas Battle's um, record from Floyd County Police Department, and it contains some letters about a complaint that had been filed by someone he had arrested in like 1998, 99, um, who said that after he'd been handcuffed, Dallas Battle had like assaulted him. The final verdict was that uh, Dallas Battle had nearly poked the restrained suspect, but of course it's improper to poke someone who was handcuffed, even if you're just poking them in the chest like that. Poke them so twice. Got suspended. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They got suspended for that, which is a, to me it was a good sign that like, okay, there's more going on here. No way Floyd County is going to suspend Dallas Battle for literally poking at a suspect. So, so we, we tracked him down and he said that Dallas Battle, he was restrained. Dallas Battle punched him, choked him and said something like, I don't care if you die. Yeah. Threatened to kill him, like choked him out. I think he said. Because he wouldn't give information that Dallas Battle wanted. Some of the complaints about Sergeant Battle that we heard would not technically qualify as police misconduct, but had nevertheless left an impression on the people he encountered. He's a prick. He would lie all the time on us. He would start shit like that between us. Like, he said, man, I seen you, your girlfriend with, with so-and-so the other day walking or something like that. He would always try to use us against each other and start shit between us knowing what he was doing. So he'd get involved in your drama? Yeah, he would cause it. He would always do stuff like that. Why? I don't know. He's just crooked cop. I mean, there's crooked and there's just petty. Yeah, he would do stuff like that all the time, try to pin us against each other. Lee Clark thinks that this was a tactic the Sergeant Battle used in his case as well. He remembers that some of Brian's friends had been spreading rumors about town about what had happened to Brian. Oh, Tommy Hyde, he was running around, he was telling lies from what, I never heard this from his own mouth, but people were telling me he was going around telling lies, talking about that I was there, get outside Brian's window, same rest of the lies and shit that was spreading around. Was this before you got arrested? Yeah, this is before I got arrested, yeah. And, I, and this is just my personal opinion right here, Susan, I can't prove it one way or another, but I think all these lies, I think every bit of this shit, Stem, stem back to damn Dallas Battles concocting this shit up and putting it in these young teenagers' minds because he himself, he sat there and said that uh, his arrest was based on previous suspicion and rumor. Well, where the hell did you get the suspicion from? The damn rumor, that's where you got it from. The rumor that you started. One thing we do a lot while investigating is sign up for newspapers. Local papers all over the country try and track down some scrap of info from... I don't know, the random 2007 edition of the Memphis paper, just for hypothetical example. <laughs> hypothetical. But the problem is we always forget to cancel those subscriptions. Luckily, there's a solution for people like us who sometimes lose track of things. And that's Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you get full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. 
Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. That's amazing. That's, that's all I want in life is for someone to always deal with customer service for me. It's like having a personal assistant. Rocket Money has over 5 billion users and has saved them over $500 billion and saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash proof. That's rocketmoney.com slash proof. Rocketmoney.com slash proof. Susan, it's no secret that I have been taking Nutrafol and loving it for a few months now. Susan, have you gotten your Nutrafol yet? I finally did. I'm on the Nutrafol train and I'm really excited because not going to lie, my hair's been a hot mess this whole season. I think this season has impacted both of our hair in not great ways. Our sanity, our health, and definitely like like ripping hair out in frustration sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But thankfully, Nutrafol is there to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology. Take the hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code PROOF. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code PROOF. That's Nutrafol.com. Promo code PROOF. Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Dallas Battle had more than just suspicion and rumor, though, when he arrested Lee Clark. He also had a confession from Kane's story. Two days after Brian was shot, Sergeant Dallas Battle and Sergeant Mark Wallace interviewed Kane for the second time. And this time, Kane told them that he'd been holding the gun when it went off and shot Brian. That interview is the main reason that Lee says, for a long time, he'd believed that Kane might have actually shot Brian. They would not have gave that statement to Dallas Battles. I never would have had Dallas, not one bit. I would have believed him from the rip that Brian killed himself. And I never had a doubt until we got in that courtroom and they played that statement. When they played that right there, oh, that that did it for me. That did it. That, that put Dallas all in my head right there. But before that, I believed him. Unlike most of the other recorded interviews in this case, the recording of Kane's confession still exists. It was an exhibit at Lee's and Kane's trial, and the cassette tape was left in the possession of the court reporter. And recently, we won a court order granting us access to the tape, and we were finally able to hear it for ourselves. Kane, you know, we talked the other day or the other night after the shooting. Why don't you tell me again what happened? This is the very beginning of the recording. It's not clear how long the interview had been going on before Sergeant Battle started recording. In addition to Battle, there's also a second officer that can be heard on the tape, Sergeant Mark Wallace, who is still with the Floyd County Police Department today. In fact, he's now the chief. Hey, why do you, ain't nobody here thank you. you understand? We've got a mother and a father oh, and a family. I know. They Listen want to me. know the truth. They I, want to put this to truth. rest. I, mean, I, did, I did not shoot him. I don't know how the phone got in his hand. I know I didn't shoot him. 
not even on accident. The recorded portion of Kane's interrogation is only 19 minutes long. And for the first 17 minutes, Kane tells Sergeant Battle over and over again the same thing that he told him in his first interview that he didn't shoot Brian. If it was an accident, we can put this to rest. Yeah, it, over. it was an accident, sir. Have you shot himself? Can you accidentally shot him? No, no, I did not accidentally shoot him. It was an accident, and you accidentally shot him. No, I didn't accidentally shoot him. I mean, I, I didn't even not pull the trigger. He pulled the trigger. We're, we're not saying you killed him on purpose. I, I, I didn't kill him at all. Y'all, listen, y'all were playing with a gun, and you had the gun, and it went off. Didn't you? I, I didn't have the gun, so I swear. Kane, you're not telling us everything, so let's put it to rest so we can all go. I'm trying to put it to rest. I didn't kill him. You know what I'm asking. It was an accident. We're not no charge you with murder, Kane. It was an accident. After 17 minutes of denying that he'd shot Brian, Kane finally changes his answer. I'm giving you my word, you ain't, we ain't gonna charge you with murder, Kane. Accidents happen. I accidentally shot him, Kane says. After that, Sergeant Battle and Sergeant Wallace quickly wrap up the interview. And you told us the truth this time. You had the gun. And you pulled the trigger, but you didn't mean to kill Okay, okay. We're going to be ending the interview. It's Sunday, October 20th, 1996, at 7.10 p.m. When Lee heard this tape for the first time while sitting in court on trial for murder, he had been shocked and confused. I said, Kane, I said, I'm confused as hell right here, man. I said, this shit don't make no sense to me. You keep telling me that Brian killed himself, but yet I've got this damn statement right here, man. I said, what the hell am I supposed to believe, man? I can't make no sense of none of this shit, man. I said, Kane, if you didn't do this, why would you say that you had the gun in your hand then? And you accidentally shot him. That don't make no sense to me, Kane. Why would you do that? And he's like, man, they weren't going to let me go, man. They weren't going to stop, man, until I said it, man. They kept telling me they weren't going to charge me murder. I said, Kane, are you that freaking stupid? He said, yes, I am. I said, yeah, there ain't no kids to it, Kane. You are. Kane's confession was ultimately deemed inadmissible at trial. Under Georgia law, a confession can only be used as evidence if it was made without being induced by another by the slightest hope of benefit or remotest fear of injury. And as the tape recording made clear, Sergeant Battle had induced Kane's confession with assurances that if he admitted to shooting Brian on accident, he would not be charged with murder. But even though the confession was tossed out, it made a big impact on Lee Clark. He says it made him believe his friend might be guilty. Even though we was throughout that court, just hearing it has always put them doubts in my mind. I thought the came might have been in there, had that gun in his hand, showing it to Brian. Hey, man, check this out, man. And boom, he accidentally pulled his trigger and shot him. And that's what got me, that's what I was thinking for a long time, like, damn, you and went in there and you asked him to shot him, man, you're going to tell me. It's a false confession. Huh? It's a false confession. Yeah, yeah, but it it, it had me messed up because, I mean, I'm like this right here. This is my thought process. I told Kane, I said, Kane, regardless of what they're telling you, I said, if I had been me sitting in that room and they're telling me the same bullshit that they were telling you, I'm not going to sit there and admit to something I know I didn't do. There's no dispute that this was a false confession, in some way or another. Investigators don't believe that Brian's shooting was an accident, and they also think it was probably Lee, not Kane, who did the shooting. Kane told me that sitting there in that interrogation room, he'd felt like he only had bad options to choose from, but that the least bad option was to do what investigators had asked, and to admit to accidentally shooting Brian, even though, he says, he hadn't shot Brian at all. So what happened during that interview? It was him and Mark Wallace, I believe. 
Yeah, they were like, you know, basically they made me feel like that if I didn't, they're going to go in jail for murder. I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to do it. Hell, I'm going to go to jail for murder. I don't want to do it. But I've been sitting here telling them the whole damn time, but no, 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 and they ain't believing this shit, so I didn't know what to do. I wish I'd known then that I could have shot. I could have said this interview's over, but I didn't know all that. I, I didn't know you could stop the talk. You could stop. I, I thought once you signed that paperwork, it was over with. Kane told me he'd been convinced that saying he'd accidentally shot Brian wouldn't make things right for everyone, for himself, for the police, and for Brian's family. Because he, he was like, you know, he, he was like, look, we're not here to hang you for murder. We're not going to charge you here. I said, you know, you just let us know it's an accident. We can all go home. He said, we got a family here that wants to, you know, get this resolved. And we know you didn't, you know, we, we know it was an accident. You didn't mean to do all this. You, you're right. You're going to have to live with this yeah. every day. But you can't live with it if you don't set it straight. If we can't go to the parents and say, hey, this was an accident, but your son didn't do this. This is what happened. This is really what happened. Kane is sorry, but this is really what happened. That's well, all we, we want to know. They're, talking to yeah. me. They're not mad at you. I know that. No one believes that what Kane said in this recorded confession is true. One way or another, Kane was lying about what happened. So maybe this confession doesn't matter so much. After all, it was ruled inadmissible by the trial court. The prosecution was not allowed to use it as evidence, which means it didn't play a role in the jury's decision to convict Leon Kane. Or at least that's what I'd assumed it meant. Look, they they let the jury hear all of it. They oh, the jury did hear all of it. Yes, they heard all of it. They, they didn't have like a motion ahead of time. No, oh yeah, they did, but they let them hear it anyways. And then after that, they turned around and they, and they went back. On no, 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 back up. Back up. They had a motion ahead of time, and then they said, let yes. the jury hear it, and then we'll have another motion and then exclude it? Yes, that's exactly what they did. They, right. they said, well, we're going to allow it, and then they let them hear it. Then they turned around and said, oh, well, we're not going to allow that. Uh, we want y'all to disregard what you heard. I was shocked by what Leah told me because that is not how things are supposed to work in a criminal trial. I can't say for sure for one hundred percent. Are you totally it. confident that the jury was sitting there in the courtroom when they played it? Yeah, they were there. Yeah, I know for a fact they were sitting in the courtroom. Yes, they heard all of it. That is insane. I had no idea until this moment that the jury heard that confession. All right, After look. They listened to it. I am doubting you only because it makes no sense. I will read the transcript and go back to you, but like that is nonsense. It shouldn't have happened sure, that yeah. way. Well, when you when you get it, you gonna say, "Damn, he was right." Lee was right. That is what happened. Before trial, the defense had moved to have Kane's confession excluded, but that motion was denied. On the first day of trial, it was played for the jury to hear. Then, two days later, the judge changed his mind. He decided that the confession should not have been admitted after all, so he told the jury to forget that they ever heard it. Now, obviously, what was said by Story at that time was in response to a hope of reward or a benefit. So what I'm telling you at this time, you disregard this statement as to what he said as being it was said under the hope of reward, and it's not entitled to any weight or credit by you. So I ask you to separate that from your mind when you are making the decisions in this case as to what the facts are and whether or not the state proved its case beyond a reasonable doubt. It is unusual to have a confession, let alone a confession of a co-defendant, played in court and then have the judge change his mind. That's not a thing. Usually if that happens, then the whole trial's a mistrial. Because the jury, no jury on earth can disregard that. The best jury on earth can't disregard that. The defense did move for a mistrial, but the judge denied it, saying that by admitting the confession and then excluding it, he had really done Cain and Lee a favor. I think I probably did more to benefit the defendant's side when I told the jury that that statement was given under the hope of reward, and I made a conclusion for them and made a finding on them that that statement was given for hoping a reward or benefit from it. I'm not entirely sure what the judge meant by this. It's hard to see why playing a confession tape could ever be more beneficial for the defense. But in this case, 
There actually was something in Kane's confession tape that would have greatly benefited the defense if only the defense attorneys had picked up on it. It comes at the very end of the interview. After Kane demonstrates how the gun had accidentally gone off, Sergeant Wallace makes a comment. Just, just put it right up there. No, I mean, not at me. It was in my hand. I turned my head and I shot. It went off. The wound was closer than that. You put the gun up there to his head, you can hear Sergeant Mark Wallace tell Kane. And then when Kane says that's not what happened, Wallace corrects him. The wound was closer than that, he says. Immediately before this interview with Kane, Mark Wallace and Dallas Battle had been at the funeral home to inspect Brian's body. And based on what Sergeant Wallace, now Chief Wallace, told Kane, Wallace had concluded that Brian had been killed by a contact or close contact shot, which is exactly the opposite of what Sergeant Battle testified to at trial, when he said that they had examined Brian's body and concluded that he must have been shot from a distance. Brian's aunt Melody thought both Sergeant Dallas Battle and investigator David Stewart did a good job investigating her nephew's death. Or at least, they did a good job once they decided to take a second look and not take Kane's word that it had been an accident. Yes, they were, we all became good friends. Um, they worked hard after they realized it was not going to be open and shut. But Brian's sister Amanda and her husband Kenneth had not been quite so impressed with Dallas Battle. They thought his partner should have gotten more of the credit for solving it. Dallas was a, he, to me, he was more, like, he had a cold shoulder type thing where David was more open arms, yeah. you know, more compassionate about, you know, us and what had happened. But Dallas, he, to me, he was just like, you know, just a, I'm not going to say he was a bad guy or didn't have a heart or anything. He was just like, just a cold person. I mean, it was. The impression I had coming into this case was that Dallas Battle was the lead investigator, the driving force, the, and the more I've gotten into it, it seems like it was David Stewart yep. who yep. cared about solving the case. Yes, you're, you're yes, exactly he was right. the one that cared about solving it. It wouldn't Dallas. have been for him, Dallas. If it had been just Dallas, we wouldn't be right here right now. Amanda told us something we'd heard over and over again in Floyd County, that Dallas Battle had a habit of getting, let's say, off track during investigations. No. Yeah. We, uh... yeah, he was a flirt. Yeah, that's what yeah. He was a flirt. That's what I'm getting at, yeah. You know, he was... I don't... I don't know how to say that, but he opened up more to women than he did men, you know. Mm -hmm. So he would more than likely talk to, let's say, us more than he would say them. That's, yeah, definitely an impression I've gotten as well. Yeah. God rest his soul, you mm -hmm. know, I'm not talking bad or ill about dead person or anything, you know. As we investigated the case, we did hear rumors that Dallas Battle had developed a personal relationship with Brian's mother. When we spoke to her sister, Melody, we asked if there was any truth to that. So, you know, small town talk and all, there's a lot of rumors and it's hard to know. Like you were saying, we don't know what the truth is, but there are rumors about Dallas Battle having some connection to the family, like maybe dating your sister or something like that. You ever that. heard that? Um, no, actually. I have heard that. Oh, you have heard and it, that? Yeah, and it, they thought it was me. But I worked with them. No, <laughs> never. So because you were talking to them and working yep. with them, those rumors get started, like yes. she must be. Yes, gotcha. yes. That makes sense. Yes. And I mean, both of them were, I mean, they all turned out to be good friends, you know, but no, ever. But um, yeah, I had heard that several times too. and. I didn't care. I mean, you know, I knew the truth. Yeah. I was married, had two kids. So he was married, had children. They went to school with my kids, you know. These rumors did not come as a surprise to any of the police officers who had worked with Dallas Battle. One thing we have been told is that Dallas Battle was known to flirt a lot with the ladies. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this, uh, 
He's, he's got in trouble for that a few times, I think. A few of the witnesses we've spoken to, the women witnesses we've spoken to, <laughs> have recalled that. Mm -hmm. he, he, yeah, he had a reputation for that. We asked Captain Tommy Shiflett, who had been the head of the department's investigative division, what sort of trouble Dallas Battle had gotten into. He did not want to speak ill. He told Susan, you can't speak ill of the dead. He was trying to say that Battle's uh, indiscretions were not relevant to his police work. And I'm like, actually, no, they're pretty. They I'm, I am talking about his police work. I think he thought I was talking about him cheating on his wife. I'm like, I'm actually talking about his police work. And at first he tried to play off like the only, oh, there was one incident. And then he's like, oh, it's the only one that was, that we could, that was, you couldn't deny. The one he got fired for, he had. He did not want to talk about it. In 2007, after three decades of service with the Floyd County Police Department, Sergeant Ellis Battle was fired. Captain Shiflett seemed regretful about it, but he told us that the department hadn't been left with any other choice. Oh, what he told us that was really interesting is that Battle did the right thing. He said after he did his thing, I forget how he put it, it was very discreet. He saw this woman, and after he slept with her, and he was off duty, he claimed, he was on his way home from duty, slept with this woman. Afterwards, she said, my nephew's got this ticket or this charge, can you get him out of it? And so he went and reported it himself because he knew she was gonna try and blackmail him. That's not exactly what the file shows happened though. Battle appealed his termination, and the records from that show, it was the woman herself who filed a complaint about the incident. Jacinda read part of that report to Lee's father, Glenn Clark. So this is from uh, 2007, and it's a report about Dallas Battle. Dallas Battle is the claimant in this document. He's the claimant. So the claimant went to the location of a female, widely known as a felon, in order to obtain information into an investigation he was conducting. The claimant was on duty at the time. While meeting with the female, he had sexual intercourse with her while on duty. The interlude was tape recorded and later reported as a rape. I heard about it. I heard about it. You had heard about that? Yeah. Yeah, I heard about it. Did it surprise you? I'll be honest with you, it did. Really. You got a man in that position that, well, I mean, golly. Just before his termination, Battle wrote an email to his superiors of the police department, making a last-ditch appeal to keep his job. I want to say that I am very sorry for what I did. I blame nobody but myself. I have no hard feeling toward my accuser and have asked God to help not only me, but her. Like I said, I am making no excuses for what happened, but I believe everyone who has been involved in this knows I was set up and I did not go up there with the intention of doing anything but getting some information on a missing person case that I have been working for seven years. I believe that I was set up by someone I was working a case on. As the officer who investigated the sexual assault claim told us, Dallas Battle's accuser had been an informant, but not a good one. Which is why Battle had given her the recorder. That way, she could record conversations with people she was gathering info on, and Battle wouldn't have to rely on her word about what had been said. One day, Battle called the informant and told her he'd be stopping by her house. She turned the recorder on before he got there and left it running during his visit. We haven't heard the recording, but the GBI has, and they concluded that whatever's on that tape was insufficient to support the woman's accusations that the sexual encounter was not consensual. No charges were filed. But even if the tape wasn't proof of a crime, it was undeniable proof of employee misconduct because sleeping with an informant while on duty broke several of the department's standard operating procedures. Sergeant Battle was fired, but he appealed his termination. On the form, under reason for appeal, he wrote, I was treated differently than other persons who have been accused of the same thing I was, and they were not fired. His appeal was denied. After leaving the Floyd County Police Department in 2007, Sergeant Battle bounced around through a couple different law enforcement agencies, 
before eventually landing at the sheriff's office in Polk County, where he worked at the county jail from 2011 to 2016. It does seem that, that women might have been his uh It was a quick point. Uh, that's what you know, he, he left Floyd County and went to Polk County. Yeah. And that's what got him out of Polk County was women and a stun gun. Dallas was uh he was Dallas. I mean he it, it was no secret that he had a history with the female. He thought he was friends with them girls and that they knew the video existed and they got mad at him about something and told on him for tasing the guy in the hand. I handcuff. was wondering how that came out. In twenty sixteen an incident occurred at the Polk County Jail. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation was called in, and the investigator recorded interviews with the officers and inmates who had been involved, including Sergeant Dallas Battle. What follows are excerpts from those recordings. Okay, uh, so we had problems with several of the inmates uh, that were locked down, raising cane, beating on the door, kicking, uh, things like that. The noise Dallas Battle is talking about had been coming from a block of cells where several inmates were held, including to Zadrian Wilson. He couldn't find out who was beating on the door. Okay. He was like, shit, I'm gonna give you extra weeks. I said, you can't do that to me, man. Like, that wasn't me, man. I said, you just can't pick me. Say it was me, man. You don't even know who it was. He said, I'm the sergeant. I said, I can do it the hell I want to do, and I can prove you wrong. Battle decided it was probably Wilson who was responsible for all the banging. So he decided to move him to another cell. So we put him in a restraint chair, and we took him down. We put him in there. It's a, it's a larger cell, and we can keep an eye on them. Even after wheeling Wilson away, though, an inmate named Brandon Kaufman had continued making noise. The GBI investigator asked Sergeant Battle and his partner, Officer Jay Hudson, what had happened when they went back for Kaufman. Okay, he, he kept on, kept on, kicking and raising hell. I told uh, Hudson to come back there with me. He came back there, and right before we opened the door, he kicked it, so I told Hudson, I said, open the door. So when Hudson opened the door, I tased him. As soon as we opened that door. And we say we, who are we speaking of? Me and Sergeant Battle. Go ahead. We opened the door, and Kaufman was standing up against the back wall. Sergeant Dallas pulled his taser, and Dallas shot him with the taser. The investigator asked Officer Hudson what reason Sergeant Battle had for tasing Kaufman. There was no reason he, he wasn't doing anything. He, he was up against the wall, hands down. Kaufman, at this point, he got pissed and started saying, what did you tase me for? Dallas answered him and said, you basically lunged at me. Did he lunge at him? No, sir. After tasing Kaufman, Battle and Hudson decided to move him. They strapped his arms and legs down to a restraint chair and wheeled him down to the same cell where they'd already put Wilson. They just rolled me down to the other room. So I got in there with YT and he's like, man, they, they thought, uh, put me in this chair for no reason. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And I said, they tased me two times. He's like, yeah, I know. I heard it. Most of the jail cells in Polk County don't have cameras inside. This particular cell, though, where Kaufman and Wilson had been left, parked side by side in their restraint chairs, was the exception. In this one jail cell, there was a camera rolling. And when the officers checked the camera feed, they saw that Kaufman had managed to slip his left hand free from the chair restraints. So when we found out that he was uh, getting out of the chair, me and Hudson went back in, he had I think he had both hands loose. Mike just had one loose. Come on, Kaufman. Kaufman, yes. And he was raising hell and jerking, jerking around, had that arm. So I dry stunned him. There are two ways you can use a taser. The first is by shooting someone with two barbed prongs, which attach to the flesh and are then used to transmit an electric shock, which incapacitates the person by causing their muscles to contract. But tasers also have what is called drive stun capability. To drive stun, you remove the prongs from the taser and then apply it directly to the target's skin before pulling the trigger. 
Using the taser in this manner is known as a pain compliance technique. Because while it doesn't incapacitate someone through an electric shock, it does hurt like hell. I probably tased, dry tased him for probably five seconds until he started complying and, and put his arms down where we could secure it. Did you say anything about wishing he was dead? That you'd be the one that would do it? I told him I really didn't give it. He was hollering he's dying. I said, I really don't give a shit if you die. What do you think Kaufman's going to come in here and say? You think he's going to say I was restrained and, and you came in and just tased me? I don't know what he'll say. I'm, I'm telling you what it looks like on the video. The video from inside the cell where Wilson and Kaufman were being held shows that after they were left alone there, Kaufman had indeed gotten his left hand free, but he had slid his arm back into the restraint before Sergeant Battle and Officer Hudson entered the cell. On the video, you can see Sergeant Battle approach Kaufman and then take a moment to adjust and tighten the straps around his left arm. Then, after making sure he's been resecured to the restraint chair, Sergeant Battle jams his taser into Kaufman's stomach. He puts the taser to me and I'm like, ah! oh! Man, I don't even know. He probably tased me four times. And I'm just sitting there screaming. He said, uh, if I have any more problems out of you, he said, I'm going to make it where your mama don't recognize your next visitation. And then he said, I'm so mad right now, I could kill you with my bare hands. In the video from the jail cell, Kaufman's face is off camera but you can see his body suddenly jerk when Battle drives the taser into him. After a few seconds, Battle briefly pulls the taser back. Then he jabs the taser back into Kaufman's stomach and drive stuns him once again. This time, as Kaufman is jerking about, his left hand pops out of the restraint, flailing around. His arm is only free for a second. As soon as Kaufman registers that it's come loose, you can see him shove his hand back into the restraint. Battle then leans over the restrained Kaufman, one hand tightly gripping the top of Kaufman's thigh. Both Kaufman and Battle have their heads just out of frame, but you can tell from their posture that Battle has his face in Kaufman's, and he seems to be saying something to him. Officer Hudson was asked what he remembered Battle doing after they went into the cell with Kaufman and Wilson. At that time, Dallas took his taser and drive-stunned Mr. Kaufman while he was strapped to the chair, could not move. Be best to explain it, Kaufman is extremely scared of tasers. It was very apparent that night. He was sitting there begging, please don't tase me again. I give, I'm done. Sergeant Battle basically got in Kaufman's face, told him that he would probably be better off dead. Said that if he could, he'd kill him. You tell me Battle said all this. Yes, sir. Despite knowing there was a video of the incident, Sergeant Battle told the investigator he had tased the inmate in order to restrain him. I remember tasing him one time and holding him on him for about five seconds till we could get him under control and get that arm back secured. But the video from the jail cell shows that things did not happen that way. Battle had restrained the inmate and then tased him and told him he'd kill him if he could and then left him tied up in the cell. I left him in the chair two more hours. Me and Hudson got him out of the chair. Uh, he asked if he could take a shower because he had urinated on himself. We let him take a shower and clean up and then uh, put him back in his cell. As a result of the GBI's investigation into the tasing incident, Dallas Battle was charged with battery, providing false statements, and violation of oath of office. He was arrested and booked into the same jail where he'd been sergeant. The case would seem to have been a solid one. There was video proof of Battle tasing a restrained inmate and also a battle lying to the GBI investigator about it. On two separate occasions, the prosecutor presented the case to a grand jury. 
Both times, though, the grand jury declined to return an indictment. The case was dropped without prosecution. Dallas Battle was fired from the Polk County Sheriff's Office, and he did not work in law enforcement ever again. We showed the video from the Polk County Jail to Lee Clark's father. I've never saw that. I've never saw that right there. I can't believe that. That's wrong, wrong right there. You got a man that's in restraints and you doing that to him. That ain't, that ain't right. That boy wasn't doing nothing. That paints a picture right there, girl. Right there. That paints a picture of how he was. You, can, you can't tell me that man ain't got revenge out for these people. You know what I'm saying? He got revenge out for him. I don't even know what the boy done. You know? Does it matter? That don't matter. No, you can't do that. Don't matter what he done, you know? What kind of man does that to someone? This man got a lot of hate in him for some reason or another. That's what I see. And then as you see, he's walking down that hallway with a taser out, knowing that he'll use it on anybody else. He just thinks he he just thinks he's got to overpower people just because he got that badge. That's what happened in Lee's case too. Oh yeah, yeah. You can, you can see that. I'm telling you, he hated Lee and Kane because if he did, if he hadn't, he wouldn't have never done what he done with his case. Coming up on proof. The thing that confuses me about Charlie is, so he's the only one who puts Lee at the house, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Do you guys feel certain that people can understand exactly what Charlie's saying? They, they bring in some special person in the court, too. We walked up, I asked you if you were being interpreted on a case, and you instantly said Lindale. Yeah, this is really the only case that I've interpreted for. Okay. And it was, that's probably because that was the first case that I don't want to interpret for any more cases. Their theory is that Charlie Childers, he was there. That's, that's what they say, that he was there, that he saw Lee running across the front yard. That's how they say they put Lee at the scene. You've been listening to Proof, a podcast by Red Marble Media. We'll be back next Monday for episode nine. Send us your questions at proofcrimepod at gmail.com. We'll respond during our bonus episodes, Proof Sidebar, on Thursdays. Kevin Fitzpatrick is our executive producer. Our logo was designed by Drew Hoseski. And our theme music is by Ramiro Marquez. Audio production for this episode is by George Panos and Michael Yulatowski. Our social media manager is Skylar Park. Thank you to our sponsors for making it possible for us to come back week after week. Follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>